Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace, and we are so happy that you are here. I may be tempted to preach from the hay bale this morning, just sit down, you know, have a barnside chat or something like that. Um, I, you know, one of the things that I love about our church is the intergenerational feel that we have. A lot of our students are gone, not quite as young today as we were last week, but <clears throat> we're still mighty young. And uh, you, I was talking with someone about it this week, that the, the church has aged with me or I have aged with the church over the years, and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, next spring when we follow uh, along the New Testament and have a series called All, A Place in the Family. I'm sorry, not All in the Family. Archie Bunker will not, <laughs> not appear next week. It's that kind of day, Scott. I'll, I'll get back to that in just a second here. Uh, but <clears throat> A Place in the Family, I am amazed. Let me just tell you a couple of things I want to say. I'm really amazed at the number of young men who say to me, um, I really want someone a little older to mentor me. Now, do you think it's any mistake or is it an accident or is it just by chance that God has put us together the way we are, older, younger? Some of you older think, I really don't have a place. I, got, I want to tell you, they're lined up. They want you to have a place in their lives, these younger men. Another thing about this intergenerational blessing that we have here, and that's, that, that's going to be sort of the series next, next spring. It's not going to be just like, here's what church is. We're going to talk about some of the things that you don't necessarily talk about, like God's design and intergenerational service, community and service together. But this morning I saw new people. As far as I know, you're, you're new people. Some of you are new people. I mean, you may have been here two or three months. If so, shame on you for not introducing. Oh, wait a minute. You probably did introduce yourself to me three times already. Like I said, intergenerational. I'm on the older side. But people going in back there and, you know what? When they take their children back to the back, when they take their little ones, they want to know they're going to be well taken care of. I can assure you, as I mentioned last week or two, we do background checks. We're very careful. We care very much about the safety of your children. But we need people back there. We need a number of people for every room, not just one person for a large room. And we've had 10 people in the last two weeks tell Keisha, I'm ready to serve once a month. We need seven more. So seven more. Let's do it today and we'll, we'll quit talking about this, all right? Until at least next month. Um, that's just the way children's ministry is everywhere. In a growing church or a young church, children's ministry is always a challenge. Keisha is <clears throat> Keisha Colbreth, the wife of this man who led us in about marriage a while ago. But is there something we don't know about, Keisha? You have more husbands than Scott, is that? <laughs> like, I'm just messing. Actually... That was an exceptional job Scott did on talking about marriages. They are so important. That will be the focus of at least one message in the spring. This morning, though, we're turning our attention to joy in the Lord. I mean, recently in the book of Job, we've talked about 
defensiveness and judgment and bitterness and all of these kinds of things. This morning, hallelujah, we're thinking about joy. We lit the Advent candle of joy. And I have to confess, as I was preparing this message, singing about how elusive joy seems to be in our land this Christmas season. Now, one of my favorite non-Christian Christmas songs is December Makes Me Feel This Way by jazz musician Dave Koz, although Kenny Loggins sings the song while Dave Cause is playing his sweet saxophone. I, I, I'd probably tell you this two out of every three years. I really just like this song. I like the way it sounds. But the chorus goes like this. December makes me feel like the world is new and precious as a baby. Life is sweet as children at play. Love is truly there in every heart. December makes me feel this way. Now look, there's nothing about Jesus' advent in this song. There's nothing about God in heaven, in fact. It's just like, oh, there's a special feeling at this time of year. But it does recognize that there's something special around all the activities, surrounding all of the activities focused on Jesus' birth. Less and less as our country is more and more secular. But people know there's something different about this time of year. I don't know about you, but but where is the Christmas spirit this year? I mean, peace on earth is the same fallacy that it's always been. Because God didn't promise peace on earth until Jesus' second advent, until he returns, until he comes back. Instead, he, he promised that there would be peace among those with whom he is pleased. We'll talk about what that means a little later. Hope is restricted for those who look for a better world than this one. Although we absolutely have a happy obligation, do we not, to to help those who are in need, especially those who are less fortunate than we are. There may be as many opinions about how to accomplish, accomplish such improvements as there are people here this morning. Love that moves us beyond ourselves must originate from outside of ourselves. We can't work that kind of love up inside of us. And joy? Is joy even possible? Really? I mean, from an academic point of view, from a theoretical position, you must say that especially for the believer, yes, joy is possible. But you may be currently sitting in Job's ash heap wondering, what happened? How did this all come about like it is? And even though we will almost likely approach something like Job's misery at some point in our lives, we don't have to stay there. Jesus has come so that we can move beyond the ash heap even before we have accused God of injustice and he has had to set us straight like he did, Job. There is another option. From our view on this side of the cross, we know that there is purpose and meaning and suffering. It's hard to know that. There is meaning and purpose in suffering when there is no God. 
when there is no one higher than you. If there is to be joy in our hearts in a day when the top news stories of the year involve beheadings and increasingly difficult race relations and the suicide of one beloved actor and and accusations of sexual assault against another beloved actor, then we're going to have to take the long view. We're not going to just look at what's going on around us and say, Joy! Or what if we just took the top news stories at Grace Community Church this past year? I mean, would the conversions and the baptisms count for more? Along with the addition of new family members here at Grace, would they count for more than the cancer diagnoses and the surgeries and the sudden loss of loved family members who were not even able to hear goodbye from you? Once again, only if we take the long view. Or in the very short term, if we turn our hearts and our worship to the Lord. In fact, in light of the truth of Scripture, why should we not rejoice even in the face of suffering? We need to be reminded that we are not only called to rejoice, we have a reason to rejoice. These are temporary hardships. All of a believer's troubles include, after all, an expiration date. Our text this morning is Psalm 33. And even though it's an Old Testament passage, the truth of this text, as all of the Old Testament does, points to Jesus. We're going to read through this magnificent psalm, and then we're going to return to the first verse and spend our time there. I have suspicions that we will be back here in a couple of weeks when we have testimonies after Christmas. Just look a little longer at at Psalm 33 and get to the idea that I had hoped a few weeks ago about looking at Scripture from you about how God describes our relationship with Him. And that in itself will bring us great joy. When we think about that we have been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Into the darkness to light. Lost to saved. All of the beautiful descriptions that God gives about our relationship for him. For now, or with him. For now, Psalm 33. If you would please stand for the reading of the word. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. 
The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. By the way, you are that nation. You're the one he has chosen as his heritage. Not you Americans. You who follow Christ. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of men. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eyes of the Lord, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us. Even as we hope in you. Father. Peace. Love. Hope. Joy. It's all. In this psalm. It's all in your word. It's all in Jesus. May he be exalted in our midst this morning. Amen. Thank you and be seated. That pluralizing things that ought to be singularized is catching this morning, I see, as I read through the word. Take a moment and meditate on Psalm 33.1. Just see where your heart and your mind take you. In fact, look at this verse and just think about some of the things that you would point out if you were going to lead a Bible study on this verse without any help from commentaries or whatever. Just what would you do? Really didn't have time to study this week. If you think you've got a pretty good idea, you might want to just come on up here and put. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there are three things I want us to think about this morning, but but there this this <laughs> this verse is 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 pregnant with meaning and inspiration and 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 life. It's just full of life. And I'm going to imagine that some of the things that I've talked about, I'm going to talk about this morning, are, are the very things that you thought about in an instant. First. When the object of our worship is what or who it should be, joy will be our natural response. Now, there's a lot in life that doesn't just point you toward rejoicing. In fact, there's a lot in my life that elicits this moaning and groaning just before I can even think it's out of me you know it's like oh oh that's difficult one of the reasons that we have no joy is that we are utterly fascinated with ourselves 
Do you remember, or maybe you look forward to this, but do some, some of you remember what it was like when you first fell in love? I mean, all of your affections were outside of yourself. You lived for the pleasure of this other person. And in the midst of it, you were the beneficiary. You were the one who was blessed beyond anything you could have possibly imagined. And then the endorphins calm down and you settle down into a more stable state. But your love for the other person continued and continues to cause you to look outside yourself toward the interest of the other person. When you quit putting your other, the other person, your spouses, especially those of you who are married, when you quit putting the interest of your spouse ahead of yourself, your marriage is in trouble. And if your marriage is in trouble, just do this one thing. Put the interest of your spouse ahead of your own. Just do that. Do you remember a time when your relationship with the Lord thrilled you in that way? I I do, but then I was saved when I was 18. And I know that it's different when you are saved from this life of wicked sin that I was saved from. And when you've grown up in a Christian home and you can't even remember a time when you didn't believe that Jesus died for your sins. Even still... Most likely, there was a time when he became the object of your full affections. If you are a follower of Christ, most likely there was that time when he was everything to you. The Holy Spirit gripped your heart and you felt as though you were in love for the very first time. You remember Jesus admonished the the church at Ephesus. You've lost your first love. Go back to the prior works which were an indication of your love for me, return. The object of our affection will be the object of our worship. That's why the old marriage ceremony said, with my body I thee worship. You and you alone. The object of our affection is going to be the object of our worship. There's a very thin line between what God, or between the idea that God has given us all things to enjoy in worshiping idols. 1 Timothy 6, 17 surely tells us that God has given us all things to enjoy. And he is delighted when we are delighted in his creation. But don't move from delight in his creation to worship of his creation. So what is it that you worship? Power or it's less Brazen cousin, maybe, influence. Tangible, secure, earthly relationships. We all want that. But there's a time and a place where it becomes worship of the wrong thing. Because God wants us to be secure in Him. And He wants us to love Him above all. Do you worship pleasure in all of its many colors and flavors? Health with its tantalizing promise of immortality. Vain as you know, deep down those promises are. Or do you worship your creator and redeemer? I doubt you think of the things that you really enjoy as idols or as objects of your worship. Here's a good test. 
What makes you shout for joy? Now, I am not encouraging you to get up and start shouting right now. I mean, unfettered emotion, uncontrolled emotion can get away from our, can get away, cause us to get away from understanding and contemplating Scripture in the Word, the way that the Lord reveals Himself in the Word. And the end of Psalm 33 shows us that absolutely there are ways to worship that are (laughs) accomplished other than with shouting, in fact, accomplished with a quiet heart. But if there are some things in this life that lead you to deep emotion, yet your relationship with the Lord never does. If the beauty of the Lord never captures your heart, there's a decent chance that you indeed have idols in your life and that your worship is misdirected. Everyone worships, whether it is Gods of wood and stone or something on paper, some visual image. Or whether it's the God of the universe who loves you and sent his son to die for you. If your hope of heaven is Jesus alone, then the Holy Spirit has drawn you to Christ and the Father's plan. But it's easy, is it not, to be distracted by all the pagan idols that are around us. Not being pagans, we find ways to justify our idols and excuse our elevation of the creation over the creator. John Piper quotes a friend of his who said, we worshiped our way into sin. We must worship our way out of sin. That's pretty profound when you think about it. We have worshiped our way into sin. We must worship our way out of sin. Problem is we spend so much time being disappointed with ourselves after we've sinned that we fail to recognize the forgiveness and the beauty of God's grace and His love. And so rather than worship Him, we just beat up ourselves. It was what Ricky was talking about last week. The difference between repentance and regret. One of the benefits of suffering is that it forces the believer to assess the object of his or her worship. We spent a long time talking about suffering this fall. And not just suffering in general, but suffering in in view of the cross. Job didn't have near the context for suffering that we have. You know, as far as Job understood, you do good things, you're rewarded by God, you, you, you try to serve Him, you pray to Him, you sacrifice to Him, acknowledging your sin. But even still, you do good things, God will do good for you. You do bad things, God will punish you. And so he didn't get it, he was being punished. And he had lived as God had commanded. We, we feel the same way, like, what's this about? How come I'm suffering and these guys over here Getting nothing. They deserve it a lot more than I do. How is it fair that I don't have any children and they have? The way to salvation in the Old Testament was the same as it is in the New Testament. Believe the promises of God. Once again, the object of those promises, the object of our belief 
is different than it was in the Old Testament, but it's the same basic way of salvation. It's to believe God. We believe that Jesus died for us, lived the life we were incapable of living, and died a death that we deserve. And since he died for our sins and was resurrected from the dead, and since the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have a great deal more perspective about suffering in the New Testament. Most of the time when you see the the word New Testament or suffering in the New Testament, the word glory is not far away. In fact, they're almost like fraternal twins who are very different from each other and yet belong together. Suffering and glory are hard for you to reconcile as being united in your mind when you're changing your parents' diapers or when you're writhing in pain, or when your reputation has been shattered beyond repair by the hand of another. But the New Testament not only tells us that God is receiving glory and storing up glory for us, but it also gives us the proper response to suffering, which is rejoicing. James says it best. You know the verses. James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, and by the way, various kinds, trials of various, that covers quite a bit of territory. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Probably you think in the middle of your suffering, that's my problem. I'm lacking what I need. I'm lacking the resources. I'm lacking the ability to communicate. I'm lacking the strength. No. God's design for you in suffering is to make you complete so that you will be lacking in nothing. If you give it, give suffering its proper place in your life and how are you to respond count it all joy not joy like oh hallelujah i've got a broken leg you know but hallelujah god is using this in my life i know he's making me more like jesus instead of bemoaning the loss and freedom and potential in at least a partially make-believe world look this is god's creation but really it's it's not The way it was designed. It's almost a make-believe world. The real thing is coming. So instead of bemoaning your loss of freedom, your loss of resources, your potential to make a difference in this world. Why not rejoice? God is doing a work in your life. And when the object of your worship continues to be the Lord, even in suffering, rejoicing will be your natural response against all that is natural. And he has revealed himself to you. Rejoice. No one can know the Lord unless he reveals himself to him or her. Which is the focus of our second point. God's plan in Jesus is both the source and the cause. For true joy in your lives. My father was a funny man. 
life was so much fun for me growing up. My father would just comment on life and, you know, he didn't care whether anybody heard him or not. I would just, just die laughing sometimes. As a child, though, I thought him a bit too clever uh, at times when it came to discipline. I mean, uh, like most children, I would occasionally cry when I didn't get my way. My father would say something like, I'm going to give you something to cry about, boy, in just a minute, you keep on. Anybody ever hear that? I'm going to give you something to cry about. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think I've said that a time or two myself. Instead of saying, I'm going to give you something to cry about, the Lord, you know what the Lord says in essence? I'm going to give you something to rejoice about. (laughs) How would you have felt in Mary's sandals when Gabriel came to her and announced that she would bear the Messiah? And she would do so as a result of a miraculous conception. What was Mary's response? My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For the rest of her life, Mary would be the object of suspicion and gossip and outright derision. But she rejoiced in the Lord because Yahweh was the object of her affection. Being well aware that she had, been, she had done nothing worthy of being given the honor. That was afforded to her. My pastor friend, uh, Denton White, uh, was talking about Mary just a few days ago. I, I cannot tell you how blessed I am to have three friends in particular whom, with whom I, I, I talk and we bat around our sermon ideas. And last night, I was on the phone with two of them saying, I just want to make sure about what I'm going to say. Can you confirm? And, and, and it's such a blessing. And they're the same way. In fact, I was talking about another's message for this morning yesterday. Such a blessing to be able to have that resource for people who care deeply about the word and, and can sort of guide me in the, a little different path if I'm, if I'm going down the wrong one. But Denton was talking about... Mary, and I asked him to summarize. I said, can you just send me in two or three sentences what you said? And, and this is what he said. I, I, and I want to make sure you know that this was Denton who said this. Mary, and a few little tweaks. Mary magnified the Lord and rejoiced in God her Savior. Because the Lord simply chose to deal with her through divine favor and attention. She knew she was a sinner. Yet the Lord chose to make her womb his dwelling place. In no less miraculous measure, the Lord chooses to dwell in our hearts by faith. In divine favor, he comes to us no less miraculously than to Mary and makes us his temple, his dwelling place. She knew she didn't deserve it. That's why she magnified the Lord and referenced herself Through the prism of his favor. The Lord gave her no choice in his favor. He took over her life. And that's what he does for us too. (laughs) Amen. So what does Mary's joy in Jesus have to do with Psalm 33? Shout for joy to the Lord, O 
you righteous, praise befits the upright. First of all, what does it mean when you see the word Lord in all caps? Cheat sheet right there. Uh, It's referring to Yahweh. And it's Yahweh is the term that God used when he was interacting with his people in a covenant way. The covenant community of God or the covenant family of God knew the Lord as Yahweh. He didn't talk to others as Yahweh. But he talked to his family, his covenant community as Yahweh. So shout for joy to Yahweh. Oh, you righteous, the writer of Psalm 33 says. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures. You know, the whole world is going to speak in Greek. And somebody said, we ought to have the Hebrew scriptures in Greek. And so they they came to this word Yahweh and they said, how are we going to translate it? Well, the Greek word for Lord is kurios. So we will use the word kurios for Yahweh. Hebrew, Yahweh, Greek, kurios. Hang with me now. Hang with me. The Greek word kurios is translated Lord in our English Bible. So Yahweh in Hebrew, kurios in Greek, Lord in English. And almost always in the New Testament when you see the word Lord, It's referring to Jesus. Even when the translators say the master of the house in Jesus' parables. He was talking about himself. The Lord God of all heaven. Um, This is why I was reluctant to ask you to meditate on this verse earlier. I knew your mind would go right here. And that you you would already be thinking about this. And it would just be useless for me to say it. More likely it's clear as mud, right? But here's the point. The New Testament writers, the way that they used the word kurios, the Greek word kurios, they were telling us something about Yahweh in the Old Testament. They were saying, Jesus is Lord. Not that they were saying Jesus is Yahweh and the Father is not Yahweh, but they were saying when you see that term Yahweh, we know him more fully now. We understand him more fully. And so we see him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, the New Testament authors were saying, it's more than fine for you to say, Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's who he was. It's just that our fathers didn't know, but now we've been given this glorious truth that Jesus is God. So let's look again at our text. Shout for joy in Jesus, O ye righteous. Praise befits the upright. Who are the righteous? Who are the upright? Those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We couldn't get there ourselves. But this covenant God, or this gracious God has made covenant with us. His people, those who believe that Jesus came for us. Those whose hope of salvation is in him, not in their good works. Although good works will surely flow from a righteous person. 
Amen. And now in one of the worst segues of all time, the last point. Joy in Jesus is attractive to those outside the covenant family of God. On Friday night, I met Allison in dinner uh, uh, in Raleigh. It's just been one of those days. I, you know, I know some of you are thinking we need to keep a watch on him. Dementia runs in his family. And I don't blame you, really. I met Allison in Raleigh for dinner the other night. We met at North Hills. And we had planned to go see Elise Finnerty and Cindy Newton at Wake Med. I had forgotten, again, another sign, that Cindy was actually at Rex. I was thinking, oh, tell you what, you can come home and we'll we'll go up or we can just meet. We decided, let's just meet in Raleigh. But then I called Lee and said, is is it okay to come see Cindy? And um, he said, she's at Rex. And I said, oh, that's right. So we... We split up. She went, Allison went to Rex. I went to Wake Med. And getting there to Wake, I I spent a while talking with Craig before we went in. They were working with Elise. But then we went in and Elise was exhausted. Craig was saying, you know, she's probably not going to be awake at all. But I can't tell you the joy that I received as Craig and I talked about anything and everything. I mean, we just talked for at least an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And Elise just sat there looking up. She was awake the whole time, the whole time. Most of it she could understand, some of it she couldn't. And I got joy in sensing her joy just in that conversation, in, in normalcy. One of the things that I've found out about going to hospitals and seeing people is they want to talk about normal stuff. You know, you walk into a hospital and you go, Oh, Lord, oh, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm so sorry you're here. Look, just be natural. Just go in there and say, hey, what, how's it going? And how you feeling? Ooh, I'm sure that's not good. And then just start talking about normal stuff. People want to be normal. Not much hope for this crowd, but it, it, you do your best. <laughs> so anyway, we're, we're discussing all of this stuff. And I, and I was able to talk with Elise about... The message today. And then, as natural as it is for me to do that kind of thing, to talk like that, I, I almost felt strange saying, what about you, Elise? Do you have joy in the midst? And she said, yes. I have moments of joy. I'm sure there are moments when it doesn't feel much like joy at all. That's not surprising to anybody who knows Elise. And Cindy Newton is the exact same way never seen anybody trust God like Cindy and Lee Newton. And you know what? It shows. The doctors whisper to Allison, she's my favorite. Why? Because when everything says, cry out about the unfairness of this, She rejoices in the Lord. On Friday night, both Elise and Cindy gave testimony to the truth of Psalm 33.1. Praise befits the upright. Look, we're not always there. But as followers of Jesus, we can get to that place. 
where we praise Him no matter what. Because He is both the source and the cause of our joy. That sounds like the same thing, redundant, but I mean it comes from Him and He calls, we want to. He's the object of our praise and affection. What is it that can bring joy to the most battered, the most misunderstood, the most forgotten people at times when many would be expecting them to curse the darkness? What is it about Elise Finnerty that shines through her when in our day it just shouldn't? I mean, haven't they figured this out yet? It's the light of the Lord in Elisa's heart and the hearts of all those who know him. It's Jesus. And when we rejoice in the clutches of suffering, it's attractive to those who have no hope, whether they're aware of their condition apart from Jesus or not. Some people don't even know that they don't have hope. But when they see real hope and hope not being and getting better, but hope being in, 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 in eternal life with God, through Jesus, that's attractive. As I've already told you, the sermon series for next semester is going to be a place in the family. We're going to look at all the ways that God has designed the church to bring life and to be life for believers and at the same time how the church is designed to point people to Jesus who don't know Him. I... I, I really didn't know how to write this, so I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking out loud. But look, I think we're heading to a time where our church is going to be more and more like the first century church. It won't be, belong, it won't be long before we have to start making decisions. Well, do we quit preaching this part of truth or do we lose our tax exemption? You know, that's the first step. What do we do? We're going to have to start making decisions. Who knows? Look, I hope I'm big time wrong. I hope things turn around. But it doesn't look good for the church right now. Except that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And you know what it's always been about the church that's been attractive to the lost? Not that we look just like them. But that we're different from them. But... But the church today in America is doing its best to look just like the world. So the world will take notice of us. It ain't about us. It's about Jesus. And and the best way to show Jesus to the world is to rejoice. In Him. No matter what. And people are attracted. Shout for joy in the Lord. Oh, you righteous. Praise befits the upright. I bring you good tidings of great news, the angel said. No wonder they broke out, praising God. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men on whom his favor rests. Let's pray. Lord,
no doubt, um, life is hard for a number of those in our congregation this morning. No doubt. The world takes pity on us or they take delight in our suffering thinking that we deserved it. We do. We deserve so much more. But when you turn our hearts and you do that, Lord, in your word, you do it in these kinds of gatherings as we're reminded. And I need to be reminded as much as anyone else, even as I preach. When we turn our hearts to you and there's joy even in suffering Jesus shines forth give us that joy may we look to him and him only for salvation for life for joy Please stand. From Matthew 2. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. You too seek him with great joy. Worship God.